I love Razor. That's my two-year-old son, and he never listens to the Order 66 podcast. This is Death MVP, and I would never listen to the Order 66 podcast because fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to an Order 66 podcast. I never listen to the Order 66 podcast because I'm a Buffalo Sabres fan, and I still remember the goal that wasn't. Matt Machuk, a chance. Happy, happy Mother's Day. This is Sunday, May 11, 2008. Welcome back for episode number 17. Is that right? It is 17, yes. Wow. Very, very episode 17, dude. And, and happy Mother's Day to all the female uh, gamers out there who may have little ones. Um, and if you are a male gamer with little ones... Uh, don't forget to congratulate the mother of the tyke, who will soon be, uh, you know, swallowing and choking on dice as uh, he or she gets older. That's right. We'll catch That's you guys right. in about five weeks. Yeah, about. <laughs> well, how you doing, Dave? Well, I'm okay. And uh, to the dude that sent me that bumper about the Buffalo Sabres fan. That's awesome. That the goal that wasn't. Dude, get over it. He had his uh, toe yeah. in the crease. It was Brett Hall. It wasn't Matt Pachuk. That was a... That was actually yes, the game clinching. But that's the uh, thing. They don't get me started, man. He had his toe in the crease. It wasn't a goal. Now, I'm a Stars fan, but I'm a hockey fan. And I'm sorry. It's a tainted victory. I happen to agree with the man. I'm not a Sabres fan, but I don't know. Notice, sweet. And notice they, uh, notice they changed the rule that summer. <laughs> yeah, they did. Well, my, you know, my thing is this. All right, listen. Was it an illegitimate goal? Yes. Do you wait? 30 minutes, well, not quite, but like 23 minutes after the goal, there wasn't, when they're in the locker room celebrating, gear off, drinking champagne with the cup to go, oh, hey, um, uh, uh, we need you guys to come back out on the ice? No. No. Sorry. You snooze, you lose. So, hey, that's fine. But, eh, no, I understand the bittersweetness. <laughs> yeah. Well, didn't, I mean, they did an instant review. They did an instant replay review right then, but... Yeah, right then, and they didn't call. Even though right. later they were like, oh, oh, I mean, yeah. Hey. So don't hate what, the what, messenger, what? hate McCreary. That's what it boils down to. Hate McCreary. Good point. Very good point. <laughs> well, guess what, Gamer Nation? As much as I'd love to sit here and talk hockey for an hour... Um, no, we don't really want to, would. though, because we suck right now. Oh, God. Down Our ass is handed to us. 
Six Detroit, goals against two. I bow before your I'll greatness. Tell you what. We'll, we'll see what we, we'll see what happens tomorrow night. Yeah, I know, I know. Anyway, let's get well, on with the we, show. We, let's get on with the show, man. We we got a great show for you guys tonight. Uh, we got a lot of stuff to talk about, and um, we are going to start our our, our little show this evening with um, a really. Well, Dave, it's really kind of an odd postcard I got. Take, take a look at this. Isn't that crazy? Wow, dude. I know. Um, it came with a note. Uh, and, and guys, for, I mean, what you have here is this this postcard actually appears to be what looks like a, a handheld hollow projector unit. Um, it's very flat. It looks very advanced. Um, and here, we'll flick the switch here. Uh, there. Huh. Uh, there's a, a projected image of a slogan that comes up. It says, first pass light speed, millennia in flight. And it just kind of spins around. And then there's this really cool visual that comes up of a, of a rising hemisphere um, of this sort of half-lit blue-white world behind a, a YT-1300 just swooping through a corkscrew in orbit um, with spaceport complexes shining all over. Um, it's and it, it, it's look, it, it's Corellia, Dave. Wow, man. Let's see. Pretty. From across the galaxy, it's time for Postcards from Commander Cody. guys. If there's one thing you can count on in this galaxy, it's that a Corellian with a ship will have BOSS violations. <laughs> Today, me and the squad are planetside, serving warrants to spacers who failed to appear at their local magistrate's office. I don't care what kind of half-crazed maneuvers these boys pull against my brothers in customs enforcement. A slight drift to the left, they can outrace a holonet transmission. They never learn. Once we have the transponder codes on file, it's a matter of time before they're brought to justice. Hey, sad sack thought he could make a spice run from Kessel. He dumped his load before being boarded, though. They'd let him go. But then I bet they didn't think we'd cross-ref the sensor logs after the evidence was located adrift. <laughs> he really would be better off going quietly with us before whoever he was smuggling for gets wind of that that load was lost. Nope. We're out trying to arrest this fool. If you visit Corellia, you be prepared to get boarded. <laughs> this is Commander Cody signing off. Duty, honor, empire. Well, well, that sounds somewhat familiar. Slightly, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but we did get a note with that. Um, actually, um, I didn't quite show you. Um, it came with a little sticky attached on. Uh, that says, uh, GM Chris and GM Dave, this is what happens when vital services like interstellar communications get contracted out to independent operators. Here's another piece of misdirected mail for you. And apparently full-on gamer uh, forwarded this to us as well. It got sent to him by mistake. How fortuitous. How fortuitous. So thank you, FG, for uh, passing that postcard on to us. We appreciate it. Yo, yo. Yo, yo. Well, Dave, is it time for some honest-to-goodness real mail? Yeah, yeah, but first, I just wanted to tell Death MVP, who uh, sent us that other bumper about Fear Leads to Hate and all that. Oh, yeah. He sounds like Mike Tyson. Dude, I know. He sounds awesome. Clearly, he's from, like, you know, from, from up there up there, in, up there in, the, in the east, you know, and, uh, you know, yeah. us, us southerners down here. I, I freaking love the accent. It's awesome, man. Yeah. It's, it's like cool. Tony Soprano meets Mike Tyson. It's the bomb. Oh, I want, please send again. us more. Here we go. I want to hear <laughs> Tony Soprano. Oh. oh, all right. Well, let's move on. All right, scumbag, pay attention. It's time for mail call. Excellent. 
Well, let us begin this mail call with two questions that are hot, fresh, hot off the press um, that were just posted to the forums, actually, which I've already taken the liberty of answering, but they were so nifty, I thought I'd just go ahead and include them this week as well. Uh, the first one uh, we have from one of our newer members, um, Asak Yezrim, uh, who has this task. He says, last session, one of my players had an unfortunate accident with a stunning a stormtrooper. His character prefers not to kill when he doesn't need to, and he decided to set his blaster on stun to incapacitate the stormtrooper. However, he has triple crit, and he rolled a critical on the stun attack. Oh. He did so much damage that even after having it, the damage applied killed the stormtrooper. He felt really guilty since he'd only meant to render the stormtrooper unconscious. Oh. Now, my group agreed the rules don't explicitly state whether it's possible to kill with a stun attack, and that Raw indicated there was no cap on applied damage. However, this seems contrary to the intent of stun attacks. So, uh, what do you think? Uh, to kind of abbreviate there. All right, there are several things to clarify here. First of all, and I want to say this in giant capital letters, you can never kill with a stun attack. Ever. Yeah. Even if you roll a bajillion damage, you cannot kill with a stun attack. This is raw, okay? Um, realize the way damage mechanics work in this system. If the target falls to zero hit points or to the bottom of the condition track from stunning, he's just unconscious, period. Okay, and never can, the character can never fall below zero hit points, ever, regardless of the type of attack. There's no negative hit points in, in Saga. So if a character has two hit points and he takes 500 of damage, he simply goes to zero, okay, whether that damage is stunning or not. After that, he's unconscious for one minute. Now, after that minute, he rolls a con check, DC 10, to awaken. Now, if he rolls a nat 1 on the check, or if he fails by 5 or more, he dies instantly. All right? However, page 162 of the core rulebook explicitly states that a character unconscious as a result of stunning cannot die by failing that check or rolling a nat 1. They just stay unconscious. So, your situation, however, a little bit more muddy. If a character goes unconscious from an attack that beats his damage threshold, that's also instant death, unless they spend a force point. Although not mentioned in the core rulebook, it has been clarified in later dev rulings that stunning damage over your damage threshold that puts you to zero hit points will not kill you. So, uh, your pacifist player, your, your pacifist player does not need to worry. As long as he's stunning, he never runs the risk of killing a life form. But do remember the one rule that everyone seems to forget when dealing stunning damage you have to be within six squares of the target to use stunning, regardless of the weapon. So keep that in mind. <laughs> and tell your player to go ahead and wash out that vajim of his. Yes. Get it nice and sparkly clean. Mm. <laughs> well, I got a fun question, Dave. Maybe you can help me out with this one. Okay. Uh, this was posted just a little bit ago, um, literally like a couple hours ago on the forums by Shibuda, uh, one of our posters. Ah. Apparently, he, like me, was watching uh, A New Hope on the television, uh, which oh, aired tonight. And uh, he said, okay, I agree. It's, it, was, it was almost too easy to stun people in the, you know, the prior rule oh, set, the yeah. RC revised core rule set. It was way, way too easy. Saga rules have made it almost impossible to stun an opponent completely in one round. Okay, now admittedly, this is a good thing, right? Now, I know there's bounty hunter builds that do this you know, in one round, but in A New Hope, we see Princess Leia taken out with a stun blast in a single shot. Triple crit. Now, I would love it if someone could explain how a stormtrooper, no heroic levels here, takes out the princess in terms of Saga Edition rules. Thank you. <laughs> what do you think, Dave? Um, I have no idea. Well, I have one answer, and one answer only, and it's really lame. Critical hit. 
<laughs> That's what I yeah. And, and I whispered that under your while you were talking about the crit, a crit, oh, yeah. and she rolled a one, and uh, I don't. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, she didn't mention maybe, but I mean, even then, he, I mean, to do just to get her unconscious because he can't take her down the condition track all the way to the bottom five steps in a round. So the only way is he would have to get over her damage threshold, and he he would have to get her full hit point total basically in one hit. And the only way to do that would be a critical hit. Now. Let's assume he rolled really well on his damage. Like, let's say he rolled just three die eight for his blaster rifle. He rolled an eight, a seven, and a five. Okay, twenty points of damage total. Now, if he crits, that's forty damage on a crit. Now, according to the core rulebook, Leia is a CL ten in Episode six. So, way back in Episode four, I'd put her at about what a CL six, maybe six noble levels at that point. Maybe. 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 Okay, well, even lower. then, maybe. Okay, with her constitution of 13 and average hit point rolls, she's looking at 39 hit points at level 6, which means that the trooper who stunned her critted her for 40 points of damage, if you rolled well, took her immediately unconscious and to the bottom of the condition track. So, that's my only explanation. It's lame, but hey, it works. However, Glacialis, uh, one of the other posters um, on our forums, had an even better explanation. He says that that trooper was unique and that his sole purpose in life was to stun that woman. In fact, if you were to find that trooper's character sheet and check his destiny on the line, the GM would have written in, stunner. So he spends his one destiny point, auto crits, and probably dies the next time a trooper ran into a blaster bolt. <laughs> I like that explanation better. Then. <laughs> well, let's move on. Uh, we have an email that we got from Karis77. Um, I got earlier in the week. And uh, he has this to say. He says, in one of your early episodes, you mentioned using the ready action to move light object on a thrown grenade. Could you do this on a missile? Or would the velocity of it be too much for a minor force power? Quote, unquote. Uh, this has come up in our game, and an answer would be appreciated. So I remember we, we talked about this cool option way back when we were talking about the Jedi class. Right. Um, that was like episode two. Um, which was which is very cool because we're talking about you know one of the ways that Jedi can overcome a grenade was by readying a move light object. Right. Well, okay. Um, Karis, this is almost identical to one of the questions brought up in a really large request in our D20 docking bay request forums by OKZ Outlaw Night Zero. Now, while we plan to have a docking bay entirely on OKZ's request covering readied actions through and through, we don't want to deny your specific question. So, uh, no official ruling has been made on this, but raw. I think covers it pretty well. Um, since an entire clip of four missiles is within the weight, was within the weight range of move light object, I think one missile will qualify as a light object just fine. Now, the only difference between this and, and a normal use of a move light object against a grenade would be that a missile is technically a flying object. And as is detailed in the full move object force power description, page 98 of the core rulebook, it should be entitled to a grapple check to resist your use the force check as a reaction if you want to move it. Now, since missiles, unlike ships, don't have listed grapple modifiers, we really kind of got to house rule this. We got to use a bit of logic and a bit of, and just, just a bit of common sense here. Now, in terms of its opposed grapple check, we could get really complicated and we could break down thrust and accelerative force, which honestly I started to do and then I slapped myself. Oh, yeah. Um, or you could simply follow the KISS principle. Keep it simple, stupid. Considering the speed and accuracy with which, with which a missile is fired, I think it's really safe to just simply use the shooter's attack roll with a minus 15 penalty, that is for the missile's diminutive size, as the opposed grapple check total. Mechanically, this means that the attack roll would have to be over 25 to even have a chance to beat a DC-10 use the force check, which is the, the minimum you need to activate the ability. So it's really unlikely for the missile to win the grapple check anytime soon, but it could happen. 
So if you're going to use this against a missile, eh, sure, you can do it. It's perfectly legal. But give it the grapple check with the minus 15 penalty. That would be my recommendation. I hope that helps. Mine, too. In fact, I need to stop down the show for just a second mm. and say that this edition of Mail Call is brought to you by you. You, those of us that send your questions in every day. And we're getting a lot more. Yeah, we are. And how can they contact us, Mr. Chris? Oh, there are many ways they can contact us. They can email us, of course, like our fine fellow here, uh, Karis77, did, at gmchris at d20radio.com or gmdave at d20radio.com. Or you can join the proud few who have left their voice on the intertube airwaves and call the Lusa line at 206-600-5872. Uh, 206-600-LUSA. LUSA. LUSA. And uh, give us a call and uh, get your question out there. If you have a question for mail call, a topic for D20 Docking Bay, get it there. In addition, you can also go to the forums at d20radio.com slash forum, register, become a member of the Gamer Nation, and get your voice heard. That's right. And we thank you for your click-throughs in helping support our server costs. No kidding. You guys have been clicking well. We much appreciate it. I think this is like... We're, if we stay on slate, this will be the first month ever that we've not. We, you know, we actually might even have server costs covered. Right. Which which is pretty good. Freaking awesome. Yep. Yeah. But we're going to ask you one favor: is don't click on a link twelve times and then send us uh, a post on the forum that said you clicked on the link twelve times because then we're going to have to delete the post. Yeah, Google will bust us for that. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah. So thank you for clicking on the link 12 times. Just don't tell us you click on the link 12 times, please. <laughs> Righto. Righto. Well, okay. continuing with mail call, Gerg. we do have a couple more. Yep. Um, speaking of the forums, we had a forum question from Gerg on the forums. Gerg. Um, I already answered this on the forum, <laughs> but it, it's just really too fine of a question not to break down here um, and broadcast on the inner tube airwaves. Gerg. Are there rules, he asks, for equipping characters that start above first level. Uh, we're welcoming a new player to our level 4 game, and I wasn't certain what he should have for gear. This is a really good question, Gerg. Um, there is no chart in the books, and honestly, I think they're leaving it up to the GM as to what he thinks is fair, um, considering how he's handed out creds and equipment to others so far in the adventure. Um, however, on Gleemax's forums, uh, which is Wizards of the Coast official forum, Wizzo the Hut, uh, who's one of their moderators, he clarified a formula some time ago to serve as a rough guideline. And this formula is on the forums, but I will repeat it. Basically, it would be character level times character level minus one times 2,000 credits. So if you're bringing a fourth level character in the game, it would be four times three times 2,000 credits. So uh, you'd be looking at 24,000 credits, basically. Uh, double that number if the no if it's a noble with wealth talent. All right. Now, that sounds like a lot of credits <laughs> for a fourth level character. This is not in pure credits, and this is something that Wizzo the Hut was careful to point out. It is that much credit value in equipment, raw creds, vehicles, and more importantly, favors, contacts, and special things that that character will have. Um, Wizard of the Hut was also very careful to note this is an extremely loose guideline that basically assumes roughly 60% of your total income is spent on upkeep, paying rent, buying food, paying taxes, repairing equipment, getting medical care, etc. Okay? Many posters and players have also suggested, and I agree, um, much as the figure is doubled with a noble for the wealth talent, that figure should be halved for a Jedi. So, I think that's an 
excellent suggestion. So I hope that helps, and uh, maybe that'll that'll serve as a guideline. But ultimately, man, you're the GM, you're the moderator. Whatever you think is best is what goes. As long as that player is on par in terms of creds and equipment and favors and abilities for the other people in the game, should be just fine. Well, next on the list and last, we have an email from Darth Prefect, um, who's that's also got to be a hitchhiker's. Books. That's got to be a hitchhiker's. Reference, do you think? I, I seriously hope so. I'm a Hitchhikers fan, so um, yeah, seriously, man. If you could let us know, Darth, if, uh, if, that is a, if that is a Hitchhikers reference, I'd really like to know. And remember, don't panic. Don't panic. Don't panic. He wants to know, and this is, this is actually a very heated, hotly debated question around the net, can you use force grip against vehicles? Uh, a lot of colossal-sized and smaller starships have fortitude defenses in the reach of a mid-level force user. And nope. being able to hold it in place over several rounds until you destroy it nope. seems rather powerful to me. No. Nope. Um, pretty much every starfighter out nope. there has fortitude defenses low enough for a focused, low-level character to reach without too much trouble. No. Nope. Okay. Dave says no. Um, I agree. There's been some disagreement about this topic online, and there's several forums. And though no official errata has been published on it, Okay, there, there have been dev comments that have clarified you can't force grip attended objects. All right, so if I got a, a, a gun in my hand or a lightsaber, um, my opponent can't force grip it and crush it and do damage to it. Okay, but is a vehicle an attended object? All right, uh, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Bottom line, I'm not going to allow it. All right, now I feel this way for a couple reasons. Namely, when I read the actual power on page 97 of the core rulebook, it's very clear to me the designer's intent. The actual wording of the power has things such as use the force to choke or crush your enemy. Okay, a vehicle is not an enemy. They would have said target. They would have said target. If your use the force check equals or exceeds your target's fortitude defense, the target can take a swift action on his next turn. All right. Even though it says target, it therefore implying clearly that we're talking about an individual. The target's his next turn. All right. So we're talking about an individual. Now, the majority of sentiment online and in dev intimations is that force grip can only be used against characters, droids, or beasts. Now, I think this interpretation fits raw. It fits the intent of the power. It upholds the balance within the system. And, of course, it follows KISS. So that's my interpretation as well. A few guidelines the devs have made clear, although they haven't made a specific ruling on this. At any point in time, you can duplicate one force power by creatively using a different one. You usually should not allow that. So, for instance, you can use force disarm to damage attended objects. All right, spend a force point, and instead of yanking that object away, you can crush it. All right, therefore, using force grip to do the same would be against the spirit, according to the devs. So that's just kind of a basic thing to keep in mind. So that's my ruling. If you disagree with it, tell me. Get on the forums that's right. and uh, call me Bantha Pudu. Let me know. I'm anxious to hear it and argue my brains out with you. But ultimately, of course, this is the domain of your GM, and you should contact him or her regarding it to find out what their preferred preference is. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I say. And I agree with it because it's a good right. thing to say. That's right. That's right. Well, Dave, I think uh, we're going to be moving into a brand new segment for oh, our show. Oh, new territories. Listen territory. to this.
order. The set will come to order. Chancellor, request a motion to suspend the rules. You're gonna suspend the rules? Shut up, Sharjah. Motion granted. As it says, motion to suspend the rules. Motion to suspend the rules. We've had a lot of really uh, good, well, to be frank, user-generated content. Um, a lot of our forum members and, and members of the community have come up with some really great additions to Raw, changes they have made, um, whole new rule sets that add a new level of complexity to the game. Now, some people just prefer to stay entirely within Raw, but I think there's been a lot of good stuff suggested out there. So we have taken suggestion to start this new segment, Suspending the Rules. So welcome to this first segment where we're really going to delve into some of the collective brilliance of our listening community and we're going to share many fine gamers' thoughts on ways to alter, change, update, or tweak the rules as written. Um, the best part of this segment is that it's going to be entirely decided by you, the listeners. Um, you guys are going to find a brand new forum in the Order 66 request boards as of tonight, specifically for you to share your own creations. All right, tweaks, house rules, along with why you felt the need to create and implement them. All right, now we'll be sharing these every so often right here on the show. So we really guys want you to get out there. If you've, if you've made some changes in your games based on a certain situation, let us know. If you've added a new level of complexity, let us know. We want your house rules. We want your changes so we can share them with everybody else. Yeah, that's what I said. <laughs> That's what you said. Well, Dave, do you wanna do you wanna go first? I know you had a, a really cool. Um, yeah, really cool I've been holding on to this back. actually for a couple of weeks um, because I, I I knew we were gonna be doing this house rules type uh, thing at some point in time. So uh, this is from a master Caleb, and uh, to Caleb I have to apologize because I lost his email originally when he um, when he registered on the forums or I just didn't see it or something stupidity anyway it took me like it took us like three weeks to get him activated yeah, I know. usually it takes about three hours to get somebody activated so in any event i do apologize caleb very valuable contributor already mm-hmm. okay so when it comes to physical intimidation this is through sagaconversions.com he noticed that yuzum y-u-z-z-e-m has a unique trait which appealed to the wookie and in, uh, as it related to intimidation so, Yuzum may add their strength modifier instead of the charisma modifier to persuasion checks made to intimidate others. So, as a GM, he would personally replace the re-roll of the persuade check with the ability to add your strength modifier instead of the charisma modifier. And I like it, but that's just because I love Wookiees. But either way, I've always I've still been a fan. I, I was kind of I was kind of that's the only thing with Saga with the rule set changes that intimidation went away, you know, and that was what Wookies were really good at. Now yeah. persuasion is you know it's all encompassing persuasion check, which you know with a charisma is just not the forte of the Wookie. So at least. So yeah, I do like the. Uh, the idea of house ruling adding a strength modifier instead of charisma, but taking away the re-roll of the uh, persuasion check. Yeah, this is this is kind of interesting. I 
I, I think it's really neat. Now, this this is a, and I know Dave, you haven't messed with uh, fourth edition D and D too much. I mean, I've I've played some of the previous stuff that's come out, but this right. is this really smacks of fourth edition D and D, and I I do like it. Um, which is basically, you know, they, they have this re-roll ability, but, like, if you choose to re-roll, you get this bonus. And, um, you know, like, in a Wookiee's, Wookiee's case, if they chose to re-roll the, you know, Persuasion to Intimidate, they could add their strength to it. Um, would be, I guess, an analogous ruling. But, I don't know. I, I really like the re-roll thing. I think it was one of the freshest mechanics they add to it. So, I don't know, if, if I were to use this ruling, I don't know if I would do away with the reroll entirely and just let a Wookiee add strength to Persuasion when intimidating, or if I would allow the Wookiee to reroll Persuasion to intimidate and add their strength modifier Both. when they do, when they use the reroll. Um, well, that sounds you know, but, interesting. But then again, they got to take it. Well, I would love that even more, because chances are if I'm rerolling, my first roll sucked anyway. Yeah, probably. So, yeah, I mean, it's one of those things, you know, well, when you choose to do it, oh, now you do it really well. I don't know. I think it's a really cool house rule. I'd really, maybe maybe we might even implement it in the coming home game that I'm starting, gosh, next next Saturday. Next Saturday, but I'm not rolling a Wookiee there for the first time in I don't know how long. I know, I know. I'm very proud of you, though. It's going to be a good thing. But we do have a Wookiee at the table, so uh, that might just work. And if any of you are interested in the home game I'm going to be running, I have talked about it slightly. Um, It is called the Alternate Universe Campaign, based on a piece of fanfic that a buddy of mine wrote. And uh, you can find details of it in the Adventures section of the forums. Yeah, so there. Coolest. Well, that's an awesome rule. Thank you very much for sharing that. And uh, please, guys, keep them coming like that. Well, I got one that was shared on our forums. Um, we actually got into a good discussion about um, by one of our regular posters, Full On Gamer. Um, and uh, I guess this really is, what would you call it, Dave? Dual-wielding badassery? I would call it that, <laughs> yeah. That, that's probably a pretty good, uh, pretty much. And, that's a way to sum it up, yep. Way to sum it up. And basically, Full On Gamer um, is a gentleman with a, with a decent amount of martial training. And so it always bugs the hell out of him that dual-weapon fighting... Um, is not very realistic in terms of there's these massive penalties. And when you're talking about dual weapon fighting, I mean, fighting with two weapons often can be used to go for an extremely offensive bent or add a great deal to your defense. So he created a sort of secondary set of rules that can be used in conjunction with the normal core rules, um, which uh, are sort of three styles of two weapon fighting um, for a D20 house rule. Uh, and the three styles of two-weapon fighting he created were normal, defensive, and offensive. And the idea being, when you're wielding two weapons, you can choose just to activate one of these styles. Now, if you're normal, it's strictly no benefit, no negative. You're just, it's as described in the core rulebook, two-weapon fighting. Now, if you choose the defensive stance, in addition to the core rulebook rules, um, what you're doing is you're basically diverting enemy attacks with a wall of intercepting strikes if you're in melee. Or if you're ranged, you're using your secondary weapon to provide suppressive fire. Um, defensive two-weapon fighting gives you a plus two dodge bonus to defense. All attacks are made with an additional minus two penalty over the normal two-weapon fighting penalties. Um, defensive two-weapon fighting can be declared as a standard or a full attack action. It can be combined with attacks of opportunity, and it allows movement as normal when not declared as a full attack. Um, when used with range weaponry, um, defensive two-weapon fighting consumes twice the normal amount of ammunition, which makes sense if you're thinking that, you know, it's like, you know, uh, cover fire, basically. Um, 
And I, I really happen to, to like this ruling. What he's basically saying is that, okay, if you if you decide to two up and fight, you can choose to take an extra minus two penalty on your attack rolls and get a plus two to your defense, okay, just for doing that, okay? And even if you're not two up and fighting, per se, you're not making two attacks in a round. If you got two weapons in your hand, you can choose to make one attack and still gain this benefit just at the minus two penalty. And I think that's really neat. Now, the core rulebook talks about how a GM can adjudicate and always add a plus or minus two to defenses, attacks, anything based on the circumstances. And this would be well within that power. It's not breaking at all. It's, it's one more thing to think about, but I think it could add a good amount of the depth. Now, the, the third, I, I guess, um, weapon form uh, he talked about was the offensive form, which is literally the opposite of the defensive. It's a charge uh, without a movement requirement, um, essentially. Um, by committing fully to the offensive uh, with uh, withering a series of attacks, a two-weapon fighter gains a plus-two bonus to all uh, ranged or melee attacks instead of the normal two-weapon penalties and suffers a minus-two to their defense. Uh, when used with ranged weaponry, offensive two-weapon fighting consumes twice the normal amount of ammunition. So basically, if you go offensive while two-weapon fighting, instead of that massive penalty, it'll be two less than what it would be. Um, but then again, your reflex defense is going to suffer as a result. And uh, I think that's a pretty decent trade-off, considering a minus two to your reflex defense is pretty pretty heavy. Um, so, you know, I think full-on's optional rule set adds, adds a real new level of combat to, the, to what is already a pretty decent mechanic. Um, for those who decry the limited options of dual weapon fighting, um, especially in relation to common martial arts, I mean, this optional rule set could add a rich level of complexity and options. So, there it is, and I think it's a cool rule, and I'd be anxious to see it in play. Well, you're going to. Really? Maybe. Well, I dare I ask? I haven't seen character sheets for this weekend, by the way, so... I'll be very interested to see. But I don't know. If you want to, Dave, we can go ahead and run with this this week. I'd be really interested to see how it plays out. Perhaps. Perhaps. I don't know. Let's <laughs> just say that uh, I'll be rolling a scout. Ooh. Well, well, probably a Zabrak if I know you. But uh, I really can't wait to see. Uh, don't be so sure. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Well, that is all for our suspension of the rules this week. Uh, two sets of house rules that are pretty darn cool. You can apply to your game for a bit of a spice up or a bit of a tread off the normal tracks. And if you guys have your house rules or your changes, please get them on the forums, email them to us. We'd love to get them in a future episode. Yeah. Ooh. Well, Dave, what is our meat for this week's episode? This week, ladies and gentlemen, we will be speaking about the Elite Trooper. The elite trooper, the Arnold Schwarzenegger of all the prestige classes in Get the book. Get to the chopper! Get to the chopper, man! <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you, thank you. I'll be well, back. <laughs> you guys can find the trooper on page 211 of the core rulebook in the prestige class uh, section. And uh, we really wanted to talk about the Elite Trooper, obviously because we're going into our Prestige class discussions, but this is a pretty interesting Prestige class, um, because you know what? Occasionally, your beat stick or your meat wall just needs to be more <laughs> badass. Your beat stick. That your beat funny. stick, you know, you beat, beat sticks and meat walls play an important role in this game. I do You know, not. force users tend to overshadow, but darn it, a proper beat stick, a good meat wall can beat the crap out of anything. I don't have the and level of maturity This prestige class for that. can help. Immensely. Uh, all right. Well, shall we delve into the prerequisites for it? Let me guess. Um, you have to be seven levels of hero. 
Oh, wait. No, no you don't. Ah. No, you don't. Ooh. How about that? Unlike every other prestige class in this book, there is not a level requirement. Instead, there is a rather fitting base attack bonus requirement um, of plus seven, uh, which does Pretty mean much that is seven. <laughs> could, yeah, you could enter the class as early as level eight. Yeah. Unless you took yeah. like Noble or Unless, something yeah, stupid yeah. like that. Yeah, pretty much. Um, so you could enter the class as, uh, as early as level 8, you know, with a straight soldier or a Jedi. But you could still enter it later um, with non-full base attack bonus class. You will, however, though, need at least one level of soldier just to pick up a required talent from either the armor specialist, commando, or weapon specialist talent trees. You'll also need the feats armor proficiency light, armor proficiency medium, martial arts 1, and point blank shot. Right. Okay. Now, these prereqs, I mean, they're obviously really feat intensive. So to minimize your feet cost, when Dave and I kind of laid it out, it would often be best to start with your first level in Soldier. Okay, get the talent out of the way, and you get both the armor proficiencies for free. Right. Then you can continue on, and you only have to pick up two feats that may or may not be useless to you. Okay, but, but let's, let's talk about it. First, let's talk about the talent requirements, okay? Go back to Episode 8, where we talked about the Soldier, and give it another listen, all right? Hear about the Soldier and all his juicy talents, okay? You can decide which one you really want to pick. Oh. But... Of of all the soldier talent trees to choose from, Dave, um, I mean, one. you told me that you f- you thought that the weapon specialist talent yeah. tree That's seemed the to have one. the most like corollaries, I guess, to the elite trooper. Yeah, the elite That's trooper. the only one yeah. I really consider. Really? Okay. Well, I I would tend to agree. Um, it seems like, and we'll get into this in a minute, but it seems like most of the talents in, in the prestige class really sort of amp up or build off of those weapon specialist talent trees. Yeah. So, pretty cool. Um, feats. All right. Now, if you, as we said, if you go first level in soldier, you're going to get both required armor proficiencies, and then you'll simply need to pick up martial arts one and point blank shot. Now, if you're a range fighter, martial arts may seem absolutely useless to you. Okay, but then again, so is point blank shot if you're not a range fighter. Right. But uh, in my opinion, the martial arts feats are actually rather underrated. Um, first of all, if nothing else, martial arts one it nets you a plus one dodge bonus to your reflex defense. Just bam. Okay, and ranged or melee fighter, who wouldn't want that? Bam. Hey, what are you going to do? And secondly, if you are a ranged fighter who carries a big gun, uh, martial arts and a cheapo pair of combat gloves will actually let you make decent attacks of opportunity that aren't too shabby with your fists, um, which is pretty, pretty handy in certain instances. Uh, similarly, point-blank shot, while much less useful to the melee soldier than martial arts is to the ranged, um, is pretty handy for when you can't reach your melee target and you got to fire. You know, the plus one can can help. Yep, so there. Uh, some players that I've seen that want to build towards Elite Trooper will actually level dip in Scoundrel so they don't have to waste a feat on point-blank shot since Scoundrels get that, can get that as a starting feat. Um, and for the opportunity also to touch on the highly combat-useful Mitch Fortune talent tree. Sneak Attack, Dastardly Strike, Skirmisher, they're all excellent combat talents. Now this will mean that you will be a level late in starting Elite Trooper due to the base attack bonus penalty. But for some players, it's worth it. So... Shall we move to the meat? Let us move to the meat. Let's talk about let's talk about being an elite trooper. Um, now it cracks me up because you were talking about you know building this this ranged monster of a scout soldier, you know. Yeah. And and to me, the elite trooper represents someone 
who has has honed their combat ability to a razor's edge. You know, the ranged machine, okay, the the melee monster, the hulking meat wall of a tank. I mean, all three of these archetypes can really benefit from this prestige class. So in terms of the basics, look at level one, you're going to net a plus four to your fortitude and a plus two to your reflex. Okay, you also gain access to the extreme badassery in the form of a D12 hit die. Yes, younglings, this is the only D12 hit die in the entire fracking game. All right, this one little prestige class, no class and no prestige class other than this gets a D12 for hit die. Mm. You also get full base attack bonus. Nothing to sneeze at. Um, and there's another nugget, Dave, of badassery that you can gain at first level, um, which I think is pretty cool. Do you recall what that was? That would be delay damage. That's pretty freaking wicked. What does yeah. that do? Well, once per encounter, you can delay the effect of a single attack or ability or effect against you until the end of your next round. Not the entire ne- your next round. Way right, cool. so that's that's too freaking cool. I mean, that can save your life. It can keep you on your feet. Whatever. But I mean, that that's just made of badassness. <laughs> I mean, if you have a hit that takes you down, that can get you to the noble with the med pack in time. You know, if uh, you have taken it, have you know, been mind tricked to run away, you can delay that for a single round. If you're a beat stick, to give that force user one good solid hit before you take off. Um, really I just think cool. that's that's really cool. It's made of wind. There's a lot of great uses for it. So, um, in terms of the prestige class basics, beyond that, every prestige class, with the exception of the one we covered last last week, has what we call an even level ability. Um, you know, most prestige classes have this even level special ability that reflects the prestige class, and the elite trooper is no different. So, every even level you gain DR equal to half your class level. Now, DR is never easy to get. And while this isn't groundbreakingly awesome, I mean, DR5 as an 18th level character doesn't mean a whole hell of a lot. It's not useless either, okay? But, I mean, if you're taking this prestige class for the DR, all right, then email us. We'll have a nice chat about defenses and, and set you straight. <laughs> so, there we go. In terms of the talents themselves, the Elite Trooper can choose talents every odd level from the Commando Talent Tree, which is Soldier, the Camouflage Talent Tree, which is Scout, and this is a great way to get access to that talent tree if you don't wish to dip into Scout, um, or the new and spiffy Weapons Master Talent Tree, uh, which is exclusive to the Elite Trooper. Um, honestly, that's where you need to be. This is where you need to be. This, this talent tree is what you should be focusing on. I mean, anything of use from the commando talent tree, you should have already picked up. Okay, and since your soldier levels are, are, are unlikely to have you trained in stealth, the camouflage talent tree is probably less than useful to you. Okay, now having said that, though, a soldier who is trained in stealth with talents from the camo talent tree, it's a scary, scary, scary mofo. John okay? Rambo. And, and, and it's an excellent way of dealing with those pesky, deflecting Jedi who will have a real hard time being aware of attacks from a hidden foe. Okay, So keep that in mind. But let's talk about the Weapons Master talent tree, this new talent tree and everything that's in it. Um, there's a slew of talents here that cover, well, I mean, the gamut of many different types of attacks. And as such, we can look at them in relation to a type of fighter, um, ranged or melee, or generalist, which is actually becoming more, more and more common in the games I play, um, which is kind of good at everything, great at nothing. Um, but let, let's go through them bit by bit. What's the, what's the first talent in that tree, Dave? That would be Control Burst. I imagine you're going to be looking to pick this one up. Well, I might be. 
perhaps if you perhaps. if you play an auto fire yeah if you're going yeah if you're going to auto fire yeah absolutely and only i mean a minus two penalty for burst fire i mean seriously and when you brace it's uh, nothing no. it's is it yeah. i mean oh yeah hell yeah hell hell's yes <laughs> um yes please um, I mean, listen, you're right, man. If you, if you play an auto-fire range specialist, you should work your way to this town as fast as you possibly can. I mean, you, you know, burst firing for a minus two. Bracing for jack. Okay, no penalty at all. And remember, younglings, you can rarely auto-fire in starship scale, but since it only targets one ship, burst fire along with controlled burst would make for a very fearsome Ooh. starship combatant. Ooh. Yes. I'm loving so, it. So, well, one more thing to think about. Well, next on the list would be Exotic Weapon Mastery. Now, this is a very neat and kitschy talent, but it it, <laughs> uh, it ranks as kind of meh in many books. I mean, yeah, okay, you become instantly proficient with any exotic weapon. Right, that's pretty freaking cool. But at this point in your career, I mean, you've probably already specialized with a specific weapon. And if it's exotic, you probably, probably already have proficiency with it. I would hope so. Um, I mean, this would be, however, really cool for the generalist fighter, if that's kind of the build you want to go for. The fighter who can who can now pick up any weapon, literally in the game, and make it deadly in his hands. And there's some very cool role-playing aspects there as well. I mean, just to, you know, to, I mean, if, you, if you're a heavy role-player, you want to say, yeah, I'm an exotic weapon master. Anything is a weapon in my hands. Yeah. You know, I can, I can see that. That would be awfully cool, actually. Or if you so. dipped for one level in Jedi and did not pick up a lightsaber. That is an extremely good point. This talent could just give you that proficiency, especially if you're working on a really feed-intensive build. Um, and that's another excellent, excellent use for it. Well, the next two talents, um, what are those? The Greater Devastating and Greater Penetrating? Yeah. I kind of kind of lump them together. I mean, okay, in our Soldier episode, we've already discussed the beauty and the brilliance that is Devastating Attack. Okay. Treating your foe's damage threshold as five less is almost too good to be true, and it can make for some very broke-tastic characters, as Dave well knows. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. The greater talent will let you get another five to add to that number and reduce your foe's damage threshold by ten into the, oh gosh, why do I even have it range? Yeah. Um, hit, great, one, uh-huh. hit, one, hit, one, dead. <laughs> dead, 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 dead. Pretty much. Down and out. And greater penetrating, it does pretty much the same thing for DR. Um, and, you know, that would be extremely useful, if not so much for a rifleman or a melee fighter who rarely encounters DR, but for the starship gunner who has to deal with it, well, all too frequently, pretty much every combatant he fights. Right. So uh, if you're going for that devastating attack route or the penetrating attack route, this is where you need to go. Um, just adding another five, why would you not do that? Now, along the same lines as these two, the next two in the tree were greater weapon focus and greater weapon specialization. And this is, you know, like we talk about how everything kind of relates to that, that you know, you know that, that, that soldier talent tree of, you know, that weapon focus talent tree, mm-hmm. weapon specialist. Um, this is kind of another step up from weapon focus and weapon specialization. You know what? I mean, maybe you disagree with me, Dave. Another plus one to hit is neat. Okay, another plus two to damage is great, especially at low levels. Yeah. But for but for prestige class material, not all that exciting. Meh. I mean, it's good, but I mean, let's just say that there are other talents that I would exhaust first. Right. Like the next one. Like the next one, yeah. Um, or the next two. Uh, multi attack proficiency, heavy weapons, and multi attack proficiency rifles. Rifles. Um, yes. Damn. I mean, for for the range combatant, these should be goal talents for you. 
Why? Well, they make double attack and triple attack viable, first of all, and they turn a dual weapon fighter into a badass well before his time. Um, any range fighter worth his weight in Banthapudu is going to have picked up feats to increase his damage per round. Rapid shot's going to be the most common. All right, but by mid-levels, when you can qualify for the best dual weapon feats, double attack and, and triple attack, I mean, you're often better making multiple attacks as a full round action. Multi-attack proficiency lets you make that double attack with only a minus three penalty, as early as character level eight. All right, with dual weapon mastery one and two and multi-attack proficiency, like rifles, you can blast away with folded stock carbines or other rifles in each hand at zero penalty as early as eighth level. All right, dual weapon mastery three is an 11th level feat at its earliest, younglings. Um, multi-attack proficiency heavy. It's less useful for a dual wielder since you really can't dual wield, you know, heavy weapons unless you're a droid with stabilized uh, arms. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge, brokage, brokage. Uh, but um, this can really help the heavy weapon double attacker or, or triple attacker, especially behind the guns of a starship. So, but hey, man, seriously, multi-attack proficiency rifles, good grief. I mean... And yes, you can, this actually came to me in a question on the forums, you can dual-wield rifles. And Rodney clarified this too when he was on the show, because a rifle with a folded stock is treated as a pistol for all intents and purposes, except for the talents and feats that apply to it. So I could fold stock two rifles or carbines and just whip one out in each hand and just go to town. Why not? You're killing them. You cune them. That's right, you cune. You don't pwn them, you cune them. You know, Q instead of P, because Q, Q is one more than P. It's better. It's stronger. <laughs> yes. So, to end this discussion in terms of this prestige class, let's get to the bottom line of badassery, Dave. Okay. Most, most low-skill, non-force-using combatants, they're going to focus their specialty to a point of uber-pwnage, excuse me, cunage. <laughs> um, and uh, this prestige class simply enhances those abilities but there's a few things to note okay if you're playing the meat shield build you know the the soldier with super high con uh you know toughness improved damage threshold four times harm's way this prestige class is worth it just for the d12 hit die in the dr okay but honestly this is only one of two scenarios that i honestly see any reason for you to go all 10 levels in this prestige class um Mostly, folks are going to dip this class for a few levels and nab talents that enhance their, their already impressive focus combat abilities as a dedicated heavy weapon specialist or a lightsaber master or a dual weapon gunslinger. Okay, The nice hit die, the, the delayed damage, the DR, hey, it's a great bonus. But considering how varied the talents are in this class, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense for a, a focused fighter, a, a specialist soldier, to go all 10 levels. Does that make sense? Sure, absolutely. However, the second scenario that I'm willing to see, I'm, I'm starting to see this, thankfully, more often in games I play where I can see going all 10 levels, um, but still I don't see this often enough, is, is that of the generalist fighter. Um, some parties find it much more useful, and, and this often greatly depends on how evil your GM is, <laughs> um, and some players find it much more fun to, to play this consummate trooper. Um, the generalist who can fight it through anything with anything. Clearly, at least to me, this is what was at the heart of this full prestige class. 
I mean, though dips in it do enhance the combat specialists, I mean, and they're more than worth it, a career, a full career as an elite trooper will let you specify your general combat feats, such as dual weapon mastery or double attack, to a more specific bent. And I've seen generalists retake talents in this prestige class a couple times, just with different weapon categories, okay? But also, this prestige class can let you pick up any weapon, including a flamethrower or a lightsaber if you have to. You're as tough as nails, and you're familiar with any combat scenario or any weapon. And when the GM captures the party and strips them of gear and you arrange a daring escape, you can pick up any weapon you find, um, confident in the fact that you can use it. You're not crippled with temporarily useless feats and talents like the specialist lightsaber wielder or the, the autofire heavy weapons monster is that are now useless when stripped of their lightsaber and, you know, heavy repeating blaster. You are the essence of the trooper. And you're proud of it. Hoorah! Hoorah! Is, is what I say. Yeah. So to me, that's what this prestige class represents. There's a lot of cool options in here. It's awesome for dipping, and if you want to make the consummate soldier, the generalist, you know, you're great at nothing but good at everything, then uh, ten levels in it is 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 what's for you. Yippee. Yippee yippee yippee. Uh, next week we are going to be breaking slightly um, from our discussion on prestige classes. We're going to be talking about a few deeper questions you guys have had on some of the forums. Uh, we occasionally just kind of we did this once before. We're going to have an episode just devote, devoted to real heavy questions and stuff that the forums have have really brought into play. Kind of have an extended D20 docking bay. Um, so we're really really looking forward to that. We may yep. also be discussing, um, although not not very much, obviously, because it's not out yet, um, Threats of the Galaxy. Uh, the next splat book for this uh, series, this game, comes out on the 20th of May. So um, we'll see what information we can't dig up on it and maybe uh, maybe talk about it a little bit on the 18th in terms of what we have. That's right. I just found out that Gary Sarley was my next-door neighbor. Really? No. Oh. I was gonna say maybe you can go over there, uh, you know, with some with some uh, you know like a kiddie pool and some hot oil and convince um you know convince Gary and then Rodney to do some mud wrestling um, in that, your backyard and we can we can videotape it and put it up on the we forums. We could put it up on YouTube and we can get um, oh what's his name raving dork to officiate. It would quickly turn into a blood sport match, I'm afraid. Maybe if raving if if RD was officiating, yeah yeah. Perhaps. <laughs> well, uh, speaking of blood sport, um, I think it's time to maybe make a phone call to a certain uh, redneck stormtrooper. A certain redneck stormtrooper. A certain redneck stormtrooper. Yes, engaging maybe. in strategery. Okay. Strategery. Strategery. All right, sir. Well, let's give it a shot and say TK421. Uh, are you there, sir? Well, howdy, hosers. How you doing, fine sirs? It's good to talk to you today. Dude! You're right on time. Yes, sir. I am a punctual and proper soldier of the Empire. All right, who are you and what have you done with TK? <laughs> oh, I'm here, man. I'm just, I don't know. I'm really trying to ramp it up, man. We're, we're here we're here at the Imperial Academy this week, man. I'm going through some, uh, some advanced tactics training. Really? 
Oh yeah, man. It feels real good to get back into some fresh white uniforms again. I'll tell you what, we're doing drills every single day, and we're sitting in them here classes, which you know, I don't understand too much, but it, you know, it makes me feel real good. They's teaching us all about tactics and how people move and how they shoot, you know, and and how to, you know, how how to make the most of a situation when things go south. Cool, man. Yeah, in- increasing your knowledge in tactics is always a good deal. Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you what, like, you know, you know, uh, when, when, when you're, when you're boarding a ship, you know, like when you're taking it on board, you know, I brought this up in class too, you know, it's probably best tactically to not bust down the door and just run through single file. Cause they probably got a lot of folks ready to shoot up your ass. Yeah, probably so. Oh, hell yeah. So we experienced that there firsthand, man. Woo. I had some something to contribute in that class. Let me tell I you. I bet what. you were proud, weren't you? Oh yeah. You know me. I like to talk. You know. Yeah. And my professor, man, I told him, well, we could talk a lot more over a beer, man. Maybe some barbecue after class. But he didn't seem too keen on it, man. Well, you know them officers, man. They they got sticks up their ass. Yeah, I know. That's all right, man. It happens that way, though. Yeah, sometimes. Well, listen, Holders, I gotta go. I got some studying to do for my next class. I gotta get up on my tactical knowledge, and, uh, and you know, maybe I can put that to some good use down the road. All right, man. Don't fail your urine test. Oh, no, no. That was last week. I, I passed it. I studied all night. All right, man. Way to go. Later, Holders. Later on, my man. We will talk to you later. <sighs> That guy's out of control. Look at that. He was trying to be all serious with me. Didn't fool me. Disgrace to the uniform. I swear. (laughs) (sighs) Well, I think with that, it's time to move into a very interesting question uh, for the D20 docking bay uh, that uh, was brought to us by Corey Solo. So without any further ado, let us enter the D20 docking bay. Docking bay hosers. When it don't be making sense, we be making sense of it. Welcome back to the D20 Docking Bay, brought to you by Corey Solo. Thank you, Corey Solo. Uh, who first posted this question in our forums, actually. And thank you to Ghost of Man uh, for continuing it and emailing me with a very heckling, hackling, wonderful email saying, hey, dude, this is this is, this is is good stuff. Get this on the docking bay. Yep. So, uh, we're stepping out of request order, actually, again, um, on the D20 lie. docking bay request forum, yet again, uh, for two reasons. One, I think this relates to our house rules discussions. And two, I just thought this was too cool not to talk about <laughs> But uh, rest assured, next week we should be getting back to our normal request order on the D20 Docking Bay request forums. And if you guys have any suggestions or requests for the D20 Docking Bay, things you don't quite understand, rules you want to suggest, things of that nature, um, go ahead and get to the forums at d20radio.com slash forums and uh, get to the D20 Docking Bay request thread where you can post your idea there. Well, this week's Docking Bay is all about knowledge tactics. Corey Solo asks... Hey guys, I have a player who's rolling up a soldier and took the knowledge tactics skill. He asked me what exactly it was used for. I didn't really have an answer for him. Now, I know the books give examples of galactic lore and other knowledges, but I found nothing on tactics. 
I found the skill as a prereq for some talents that let players trained in this be able to tell which enemies are at below half hit points, etc. But nothing on the actual skill by itself. Does this talent have any use other than roleplay value or as prerequisites for certain talents and prestige classes? Did I miss something here? Okay, Corey. Well, let's talk about this. First of all, let's talk a little bit about knowledge skills, um, because this is kind of a general area where some people get really confused. Unlike many other skills, knowledge skills rarely have any in-encounter mechanical benefit. Now, sure, an expert knowledge life sciences check in the midst of combat could tell you that a Nexu will flee from the sound of anyone singing Barry Manilow, okay? Or an expert knowledge social sciences check could tell you that, you know, Nogri are enraged by the color pink, okay? crap like that. That could that is you know, slightly useful in the encounter. Now, although these benefits aren't mechanical, they are rather useful. And this same level of usefulness needs to translate to knowledge tactics as well. So, knowledge tactics. Per raw, there are specific things you can do with it or need for it. Alright, now if we go through the core rulebook, page 52, the battle analysis talent. As you mentioned, uh, you can make a knowledge tactics check to use it. It lets you know what foes are below half hit points. Cool. Page 170, the aid another action. If you are the commander of a starship, you can aid an attack roll with a knowledge tactics check. Very little known rule right there. And lastly, page 220, the officer class really revolves around knowledge tactics. You have to be trained in knowledge tactics to qualify for the prestige class. And in addition, the vast majority of the officer talents require knowledge tactics checks to use them. So... Those are, those are the basic mechanical things. But if you, like you say, if you want to use this skill like another skill, what can you actually learn from an expert knowledge tactics check? Okay? What can it tell you? Well, honestly, that's up to your GM. Okay, the same way it is for any other knowledge skill. But look, the skill has value in its own right. From a role-playing perspective, it represents your character's aptitudes and education. All right, now beyond that, since other knowledge skills do have an encounter-based mechanical impact, let's examine some potential ways to do the same with knowledge tactics. Now, this is stuff that's really been proposited on our forums. There is no raw regarding this. The same way there's really no raw regarding the others. As a GM, it's really up to you. And as a GM, you shouldn't penalize your players for a skill choice. You should find a way to let them use it. So... Here, we humbly present several optional ways for you to use knowledge tactics in your game. These are compiled from our own thoughts, from forum suggestions um, on ours and others' boards, and listener interactions and house rules on this topic. Okay, first of all, per the skill chapter, GM discretion can provide favorable or unfavorable circumstances to checks, all right, and in some cases, attacks and defenses, which we covered earlier. A common and easy thing to do would be to use knowledge tactics to provide such a circumstance. Okay, a savvy tactician who analyzes the approach pattern of a spotted squad of stormtroopers might relay their information to his party, providing maybe a brief boost to their attacks or defense, you know, plus or minus two, depending. Um, or maybe other skill checks made against him. Um, give the PCs pertinent info about a foe from making a knowledge tactics checks. Uh, much the same way a GM might tell a player that with a good knowledge life sciences role about that Nexu's weakness for Barry Manilow, um, a knowledge tactics check against a foe, if it's good enough, might prompt the GM to tell the player that you know his examination of the enemy clearly reveals that he has levels in Scoundrel, or that his deathly assurance with a certain weapon shows he possesses devastating attack, or maybe another talent. Okay. Um, give the PCs generic info about the situation that could come in extreme usefulness. Okay, great, so the PCs have spotted the four stormtroopers that failed to sneak up on them. You know, they may feel they've narrowed down the odds now, and they're getting into a good ambush position, but only a good knowledge tactics rule would remind the players that stormtroopers always work in squads of eight, and that something here is amiss. 
And lastly, perhaps allow a knowledge tactics role to determine who the bosses are in a random encounter. Um, honestly, why would your players know which of the Rodian thugs attacking is the gang leader and which are just mooks, okay? I mean, this could be really invaluable information, especially if you have nobles in the enemy party that are boosting their fellows. And PCs could thusly, with a good knowledge tactics check, figure it out and attack the chain of command. But bottom line, be creative. Even if you know little about actual tactics, and honestly, if you don't, educate yourself. All right, military history is practically a must for any dedicated GM. Then realize that honestly, you don't need to, okay? Many GMs, I think, fear knowledge tactics. And this is because they know little about tactics. But they are huge Star Wars geeks. So they honestly are experts in knowledge, galactic lore, life sciences, physical sciences, and technology, because they know everything about there is to know in a galaxy far, far away. Um, but this same knowledge should serve you just as well when dealing with Imperial tactics or the fighting patterns of droids. Use your noggin. Realize that whether you're describing genuine military technique or if you're just making it up as you go, it still translates mechanically to a plus two to the attack as far as game mechanics are concerned. So that's my two cents and a few uh, suggestions in terms of how to use knowledge tactics in your game for more concrete uses. Uh, but it's a very useful skill, in my opinion, and with good GMing and uh, good playing, you can really make a lot out of it, just like you can all the other knowledge skills. So, that's my two cents. If you disagree with me, get on the boards and tell me so. Give us a call at the Lose a Line, 206-600-5872, or join the Gamer Nation at d20radio.com slash forums. That's right, or send us an email, gmchris at d20radio.com, gmdave at d20radio.com. That's right. And we'd appreciate all your feedback. Very much. And you guys have really been sending us a lot of great stuff recently, so keep it up. And I can't wait till next week where we'll be discussing some real detailed questions um, and hopefully maybe even talking a little bit about the upcoming material coming out for this game. So with that, Gamer Nation, I wish you peace, love, and good gaming. That's right, younglings, and keep <laughs> those dice a-rolling. Rolling, rolling. You're tired. I'm tired. I am. I am just a little bit tired. You know, it is kind of late. It's midnight here in the Garden of Good and Evil. But all things considered, until next week. Ciao. Peace out. Hey guys, it's GM Brev, and I just want to say I never listen to the Order sixty six podcast unless I'm on it. <laughs> that was cute. D20 Radio, where gamers roll. www.d20radio.com This podcast and related websites are not endorsed by Lucasfilm Limited, 20th Century Fox, or Wizards of the Coast, and are intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. The official Star Wars site can be found at starwars.com. The official Wizards of the Coast site can be found at wizards.com. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, D20 logo, D20 system references, all named pictures of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other Star Wars-related items are registered trademark and or copyright of Lucasfilm Limited, Wizards of the Coast, or their respective trademark and copyright holders. All original content of this podcast and its related websites, including graphical, textual, audio, and visual information, is the intellectual property of the Order 66 podcast.